Thanks for tuning into this episode of CannaCast. I'm your host, Eric Allstatter, Eisner Ampers National Cannabis and Hemp Practice Leader. Please welcome my guest, Anna Forkutza, Head of Market Expansion and Industry Relations at Dutchie. Dutchie is an all-in-one technology platform powering the cannabis industry with point-of-sale, e-commerce, payments, and insurance. Through its technology, Dutchie is helping cannabis businesses start, operate, and grow with confidence. With software that simplifies their operations, Dutchie's customers can focus on what matters most, bringing the benefits of cannabis safely to consumers. She is also a board member of the Asian Cannabis Roundtable. Welcome, Anne. Hi, Eric. How are you? Great. Anne, tell us what Dutchie does. So Dutchie is an all-in-one dispensary software solution. So we are your one-stop shop. So say, Eric, if you wanted to open up a dispensary one day and you need software solutions to keep you compliant, uh, you need a point of sale, um, an e-commerce solution, uh, inventory management, and a compliant reporting, uh, we can provide that to you along with um, compliant payment solutions. Um, and we also offer insurance. So everything you need to be a compliant dispensary operator. What drove you to this industry? Now, Eric, it was like, uh, and I would actually, I'm curious to know what drove you to the industry too. But I think what drove me to the industry is similar to what drives everyone into this industry is that inherently we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. You don't really get a lot of opportunities in life to be part of an emerging industry to make history. And I would just love that opportunity when, you know, we're all old and gray and looking back on our lives in this moment to, and to just point to this one thing, um, whether it's in New York or, you know, where, wherever we are at that time to, to just point to something and be like, you know, I was, I played like a small part in, in making this happen. So, you know, before we get to the next question, I would love to learn from you, like Eric, what, what drove you to this industry? Well, Anne, I'm already old and gray, so it's different from me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like you said, I think it's, it's so rare to be involved in the industry so early on and things move so quickly in this industry. You really got to be kind of on your toes uh -huh. and uh, you got to be kind of nimble in the industry also. And I, I thought, in my view, trying to be involved in something from the ground floor was so important. And yeah. so interesting to be able to do that. So, yes, that's how I got involved in the industry. Love it. Now, Dutchie was involved in creating the Bronx Dispensary Showroom. How was fun was that to be involved in that? And how many people got to see that? Oh, my goodness. It was so much fun. Um, a, lot of, a lot of sleepless nights. Not sure how much sleep I got uh, during the eight weeks leading up to that. Um, but for, for those listening who are not familiar with um, the Bronx Dispensary Showroom, it was a collaboration uh, that Dutchie did with the Bronx Community Foundation and through that, the Bronx Cannabis Hub, um, where uh, Desmond Lewis, one of the co-founders of the Bronx uh, Community Foundation, him and I, we were talking one day and, uh, you know, they were they were setting up this incubator and accelerator program called the Bronx Cannabis Hub. Um, at the time, uh, the Bronx Cannabis Hub was representing about 40 card applicants. And while the hub was really good at communicating and teaching the theory of the cannabis industry, a lot of these folks, they had actually never been inside a licensed legal 
adult use cannabis retail dispensary before. Um, and then I shared with Desmond that, you know, in in like my past life, we we had done um, these mock dispensary showrooms um, just at the time, you know, to to get a uh, community and neighborhood and like regulators bought into the idea of having a dispensary in their neighborhood. Um, and, and through that, we came up with the Bronx dispensary showroom. It was at the historic post office in, in the Bronx. And yeah, it was really fun. We had, uh, gosh, I, I think at least, I mean, we had over like 2000 RSVPs. I think there was like nearly a thousand people over three day time who came to visit, got a tour of the showroom. Um, we had like many elected officials, including the Bronx Borough president, uh, come in and say a few words and really, really exciting, like not only um, for the Bronx, um, but for the entire industry. And it was really important to me to, to have an event like this, you know, not necessarily always in Manhattan or Brooklyn, which is where you, you normally get a lot of like the the big events. Um, it was important to me to to collaborate with you know someone like Desmond and the Bronx Community Foundation to to bring something like this um, to their neighborhood. The program you used to create the Bronx Dispensary Showroom. Are you expanding that program or taking it on the road? Yes, actually, I'm really glad you asked, Eric. So the Bronx Dispensary Showroom it was really successful, but the number one piece of feedback we got was like, okay, like where are you taking it next? Or, you know, you need to take it here, you need to take it upstate or um, to Western New York. So I'm super excited to say that we have since evolved the Bronx Dispensary Showroom into the official New York State Dispensary Showroom Tour. So uh, we are taking this on the road. Uh, it will it will be a traveling dispensary showroom where we're taking it. Uh, we just took it actually to Mount Vernon. We're taking it to Buffalo next and uh, Rochester, Mid-Hudson, uh, where else? Like Queens. And then we are wrapping it up in the Bronx. Uh, and I'm, I'm also really excited to announce that after the dispensary showroom tour, we will be donating um, the dispensary showroom uh, to the Rochester Library. Uh, they are I believe collaborating with uh, CWI, the Cannabis Workforce Initiative. They're opening up a cannabis career center there, and we are going to be donating the dispensary showroom materials um, to support the Rochester Library uh, Cannabis Workforce Initiative and just the initiative for cannabis education and workforce development. and And that is really a big thanks to our strategic partner in the dispensary showroom, uh, Temeca Temeca Group. There. They're the one of the construction design build firms um, who were also awarded in New York to build a lot of these licensed legal dispensaries. Uh, so we we have them to to thank for for that. And you know, at Dutchie, we are also all about supporting cannabis education and doing what we need to do to help uh, dispensary operators succeed and education and workforce development is a big part of um, our mission uh, to support and provide safe and easy access to cannabis as well. No, and that's focused right now in New York State. Does a program like that lend itself to go to other states as well? Yes, um, we have talked about it. Uh, so, so really like what we're doing is that we're piloting this initiative um, all across New York State. Um, we have been gathering analytics um, and and data to to see like if we can lend this self 
um, to other new markets and and other states as well. Uh, so stay tuned. Maybe maybe I'll be lucky enough to get another invitation um, to come back to your show and I can give you an update. Great. How hard is it to create software addressing legal compliance where the compliance falls to each state and each state can have its own rules and regulations? Uh, it is definitely not easy. <laughs> I think uh, at Duchy, um, we are very grateful uh, to be in a position where we have a really, really talented team. We have our, you know, an entire legal and compliance team that has direct relationships um, with each state and with with each state and and the regulators on that state. You know, they've got a really difficult job, and and our team recognizes that. So that team, led by my colleague Brian Barish. He, him and uh, his team are in regular communication with the regulators, collaborating and making sure that we stay up to date on all the regulations to make sure that our software um, keeps our customers compliant. So a working relationship with state regulators is a must, right? I would say so. And the regulators have a really, really difficult job. And, and I think that maybe a maybe a misconception is that the regulators are are out to get you or you know they want to you know ding you for not being compliant and that's really not the case like they they like all of us want this industry to be successful um so it it really is like looking at regulators more as a partner instead of you know someone that will give you grief now new jersey rolled out a little bit earlier or earlier than new york's new york state obviously how was New Jersey's rollout? New Jersey's rollout um, was definitely a very, very different um, than what you're seeing in New York. Um, so just to contrast it, uh, in New York, you're seeing a lot of these uh, card licensees uh, rollout. And so with these licensees, um, in, for that license, in order to be qualified, you had to have been previously justice involved. Uh, and uh, you now own um, a profitable, successful business uh, for at least uh, a few years. And so that is like a very, that, that's a very specific license um, that caters more towards um, social impact and uh, the independent entrepreneurs. In New Jersey, I believe it was on April 21st, a lot of the, the ROs, um, the medical operators in New Jersey, they were actually able to open um, and at least have uh, get, you know, early entry and, and be more like first to market, meaning that if you were previously a medical operator in New Jersey, you uh, had first dibs at, at opening up um, an adult use dispensary, which which is a very different approach. And then furthermore, like New Jersey, they do have a type of licensing stage uh, called conditional licensing uh, for priority applicants um, falling in like several different categories. And, you know, that gives you, if you have a conditional license, you do have time to look for real estate. Real estate, as we know, is a tricky thing to accomplish. Um, so New Jersey has been really interesting. Um, I, I don't know if we've figured out New Jersey yet, but it has been very different than New York's rollout. Do you expect their market to continue to grow in 2023, specifically in New Jersey? Yeah, I think that you'll you'll start seeing, I mean, already, like a lot of the annual licenses come out. So with an annual license, one of the conditions is that you already need to have real estate. 
Uh, so those annual license licensees, they are opening up um, a, a lot quicker uh, than than someone with a conditional license. Um, so I definitely, uh, I think there was just a new batch of New Jersey licenses um, that just got announced. Uh, so you will see New Jersey picking up steam for sure. Now you talked a little bit about how New York did it. And New York did it a little bit later. They tried to use the good things that other states did while passing other stuff that really didn't work in other states. And in fact, New York opened its first dispensary, opened at the end of December, which I guess I guess kind of met their initial guidelines of wanting to have a legal dispensary open before the end of the year. Did New York do it right? I think it's still too early to say. I know that New York has taken a very, very different approach and the intention is right. Um, what I will say about New York, just, you know, working in New York quite a bit and, and living in New York part time now is that there is a certain grit and tenacity that you see and a certain hustle you see in New York that you you don't really see in any other states. And and I'm Canadian and you, you definitely don't see this in Canada. Um, so uh, I think depending on who you ask and, and what lens you're looking at through, I think like right is like such a subjective term. New York definitely is doing it different. And I I do think that we will you know, like whether it's 10, 20, 30 years later, we will look back in this moment uh, and look back and see how New York rolled it out. And, and it will be a benchmark um, for others for years to come. You talked a little bit about real estate. Does the real estate exist for new dispensaries to open? Ah, that's a good question. So in in New York specifically, real estate has always been really difficult. Uh, and and in terms of having enough real estate for new dispensaries to open, I mean, I think, and we've talked about this with other uh, industry professionals, that, you know, there is that problem of the illicit bodegas. And and I do want to differentiate. There's a really big difference between the illicit bodegas and, and what we call the legacy market. And what I'm talking about specifically are, you know, these bodegas where they're taking advantage of the fact that, you know, that New York cannabis uh, is is legalized now and they have unregulated product selling in in these stores. And I think and I don't think I'm the only one who thinks this, that if we were able to shut those down, that would free up more real estate for the licensed legal dispensaries to open and, and for the licensed legal operators who who do want to do cannabis properly in New York, uh, it would kind of kill two birds with one stone. That's that's what I think. In addition, when you talk about the legacy market and the, the delis and bodegas selling the cartridges and, and the product, forgetting about real estate, is closing down that market vital for the legal market to survive and thrive? Yes, I, I do think so. Just being in Vancouver, BC, where in Canada, where there's, you know, BC bud, uh, there's still, there's still a big legacy market here. And, and then with like the unregulated market, it's, you know, like all you need is, is someone to get sick from consuming maybe one of these like unregulated vape cartridges. And, and then all of a sudden it's bad for the entire industry. Um, so Absolutely. I think, you know, I don't think it'll happen overnight, um, but definitely in order 
for the licensed legal market to reach its potential and, and really, really thrive, uh, there, there definitely needs to be something done uh, about the illicit market. Absolutely. In New York, it's very interesting. You have a, a handful of legal dispensaries in New York State right now. But if you walk down 7th Avenue in Midtown, south of Penn Station, you'll see a dispensary or, or someone selling cannabis on every corner. I know. And then even like some of these shops, though, too, like when you think about the illicit shops, it's you think that, you know, they look really maybe like sketchy or these like old school bong shops. But some of them actually look really nice. And and as like an average consumer, like we forget that it's since this, we work in this industry that, you know, we're always like living, breathing and eating the cannabis industry. But the average consumer, like they'll they'll look at a shop and they'll they'll see a headline that says, oh, New York is, you know, has legalized cannabis, which means that every shop that I go to must have legal cannabis. Otherwise, why would it still be open? Right. And that's the big question. And the legal dispensaries incur so much more cost being being legal as opposed to in a legal shop. And as you pointed out correctly, the products go through review and check and, and testing to make sure the product is safe for consumption. In the illegal dispensaries or the legacy dispensaries or the bodegas, the products don't go get the same review. No, there's definitely like they don't have the the same rigor at all. So it's, you know, it's a public health and safety thing, right? And and again, like all it takes is one person to unfortunately like get sick from from consuming uh, an an illicit product that hasn't been tested, and and then it's it's bad for the entire industry. So I'm, you know, really hoping that that never happens. Every day seems like well, not every day, but certainly we see more and more states legalizing adult use recreational cannabis. What new markets do you see on the horizon? Um, well, I mean, we're seeing, I, I don't know if it's a net new one, but like you're seeing a lot more activity in Florida these days too. And then there's like a lot of, a lot of stuff happening and uh, you're seeing a lot of chatter now happening in Hawaii perhaps too, which, you know, I'm not mad at that. And it, you always, you know, you, you hear some stuff happening in, in some parts of Europe. And I know that all of us, like from an international standpoint, are excited at the potential of Europe. But I think they're, you know, we're still a ways away and expanding over to to Europe. Is branding important for dispensaries? Absolutely. I, I think and when when I talk about branding, I'm more thinking about the brand experience. So when, you know, when as the market develops, you want to give your customers a reason to come back to your dispensary. And, and as more and more competition heats up, absolutely. I think it's it's important and it's also important to, you know, stay stay within the guidelines and the regulations when it comes to branding. Um, I know it can be frustrating uh, initially for legal dispensaries to have to follow such strict guidelines. But, you know, we have to remember we're at the infancy and at the beginning of um, New York legalization, and and it's always it's always a lot easier for regulators to start, you know, to to start like lifting some of the guidelines versus if you know if we open it up and we're maybe a bit too free when it 
it comes to branding regulations and guidelines. Um, all, all it takes are a couple bad apples to, to maybe take advantage of it and ruin it for everyone else. Um, so it's, but, you know, coming out of it, you, you can be, you can get really, really creative when you like color within the lines, uh, some, some pretty innovative and creative branding can come out of it. Branding is also so hard because of federal legalization or lack of federal legalization and the lack of interstate commerce makes it so much harder. Yes, it, it does. And I mean, each state like has different branding guidelines, right? So if you are you know, someone who maybe lives in a different state or maybe has done business in, in another state, um, you do need to check to see if um, New York has the same regulations or different. It does vary uh, from state to state. Do you think an ultra premium grade market or craft cultivation market will thrive? I think so if the numbers work, right? Um, and, you know, like cultivation and and craft, um, it's not my specific core competency. Um, but what I am seeing in terms of um, the definition of craft that at this moment is related to the size of the canopy. And really, it's it becomes a numbers game, right? Like, so... You know, there's power in numbers. And so when there's a, a certain level of volume production, your cost, your cost to produce per unit uh, goes down. Um, but when you're restricting the small, like the definition of small batch and when you're when you're restricting certain things that can really, really affect how much it takes to create and produce a product, um, then all of a sudden your cost per produce and your cost to manufacture goes up. And to mark that up to make, you know, even a little bit of a profit by the time it gets to the end consumer, um, you could be like paying potentially a lot of money for an eighth where the consumer could just, you know, go to a legacy product or go to a different, you know, they're, they're used to paying a certain price and for premium products. And I think for the in order for craft to thrive and and there is a lot of potential for that there's you know the the numbers just need to make sense the days of having stoners running dispensaries and cannabis companies are long gone are you seeing a more professional and mature industry these days yeah absolutely i mean i've been uh, i'm grateful enough to have said that i've been in the cannabis industry and specifically the cannabis tech industry for gosh like nearly seven years now. And I've told that that's almost like equivalent to 70 cannabis years. Uh, and over the years, uh, I've been like, you don't look at it. You don't look at all that. <laughs> Thank you. Eric. <laughs> and yeah, I've been, I'm grateful to say that a lot of the most hardworking professional people uh, that I've met in my entire career are from the cannabis industry. So absolutely not only are um, cannabis professionals uh, just like really hardworking uh, hustlers and also a lot of fun. Um, but definitely in this industry, uh, anyone who thinks that the cannabis industry is full of lazy stoners is not in the cannabis industry, I can guarantee you. And I think anybody that thinks it's an easy industry is in for a rude awakening as well. Mm -hmm. That is true. My last question, will we get to the point where selling cannabis is similar to selling alcohol? Um, I I think so. I mean, again, it's just I, I don't think that necessarily the regulations uh, like regulating alcohol um, is is very different than regulating cannabis. Like I understand 
why there are those parallels. But when you look at the make of alcohol and then you look at cannabis, like ultimately cannabis is a plant. It's a living, it came from a living, breathing plant, whereas alcohol has not. And I believe that the culture uh, in cannabis is also quite different, right? Like you've seen a lot of people uh, maybe who came from the alcohol industry to pivot and come into the cannabis industry and try to run a business the same way they've run alcohol. And it's definitely not the same. I think the end user is different and it's all about knowing who your audience is, uh, attracting um, the target market. And I don't believe like selling or regulating alcohol should be applied, necessarily applied uh, to cannabis. There are certain parallels, but we should definitely treat it like its own um, special industry because that, that is what it is. And do you think we'll ever have federal legalization or how, or somewhere down the road, how will that happen? It'll be before that happens. Yes, I, I do believe that there will be a path to federal legalization. Um, I, I think a lot of like dominoes need to <laughs> a lot of things should need to fall in place first. You know, I think there's other wins that could be like earlier in the horizon, um, such as the Safe Banking Act and also re the rescheduling of cannabis as well. Um, I believe that that will happen before federal legalization, but that will ultimately pave a path to federal legalization. And I believe that will be We'll be lucky enough um, that we'll still be alive to see it happen. Like, that's that's my prediction. Great. Well, thank you for joining me here today, Anne. And thanks for listening to Canacast as part of the Eisner Amper podcast series. Visit www.eisneramper.com slash cannabis for more information and podcasts. Also, please visit www.dutchie.com for more information about Dutchie and Anne. And join us for our next Canacast podcast or we'll discuss other budding issues.